This is Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Wow, what a week in real estate and we have so much to discuss today. I've got some great guests joining me. Um, I don't know if you heard about the news that Ontario Real Estate Association, as of 2020, are no longer going to be the providers for the education for realtors. Uh, Real Estate uh, Council of Ontario has decided to make a change. I'm going to have uh, Mr. Atori Cardarelli. He is the president of ARIA. He's going to be joining me shortly, and we're going to be having that discussion. And um, you know what? When we talk with the mayor, it's always great to have them on. Uh, this week, City of Stratford, we're going to f- uh, feature, we've got Mayor Dan Matheson. We're going to talk about the City of Stratford. Are you familiar with Stratford? You might have heard of the festival, but it has so much more to offer. And one of my favorite guests, Greg Vanell. He's coming in. He's from BNN. And you might be able to catch his uh, show every Tuesday at 5 p.m. on House Money. Great to have Greg in. And uh, he used to be a Queen's Park correspondent. And uh, I'll tell you, he knows a lot about the real estate world. And Greg and I are going to have a great active conversation. Because the week continues. Every single week, it seems like real estate keeps hitting a different feverish pace. And I got to tell you, it just, it it blows my mind at what level uh, real estate is at right now. The numbers being released this week are absolutely incredible. Toronto home prices up 33% year over year. You know, I don't have a crystal ball. If I did, I don't know what I'd do with it. Um, Because at this point, can this continue? Well, Apparently, the powers to be don't want it to, and we've got a lot of government that are going to have a good look at it. Uh, Finance Minister uh, Mr. Murnau is going to be weighing in with Mr. Tory, as well as the Provincial Minister of Finance, Mr. Souza. They're all going to get together and have a conversation. Gentlemen, I put my hat in to join that conversation. Would love to be part of it because I'd have to tell you, my league of professionals that I've been dealing with, we have some ideas and would love to weigh in on some of the ideas that you want to toss around. I think there's ways to do this with out destroying the market, but I also think that we have to be very careful that we do let some of the air out of these sales. It's just getting a little bit ridiculous. Now, there's lots that can happen. It just depends on what are they going to use. Hey, by the way, um, just a quick note, coming up May 25th is our simple seminar. The one for April is completely done. So if you're looking for to know more about The Simple Investor, go to thesimpleinvestor.com and I am happy to uh, make sure that our staff take care of it. And you can find out more about us. So go to simpleinvestor.com, May 25th, coming up, our next seminar. So did you hear in the news this, uh, this week uh, that the Ontario Real Estate Association College will no longer be offering educational courses for real estate professionals in Ontario after December 31st, 2020? You know, instead of me really talking about this, I would much prefer to bring in the president of OREA, and it's Mr. Atori Cardarelli. And um, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you very much, Todd. Always a pleasure having you on. And uh, I know that you've just taken over being the president at OREA. And uh, I guess you're, you're, you're quite busy right now. This is, this is a very busy time of year for you. It's a, indeed a very busy time, both with organized real estate as well as with the market. Yeah, so it is indeed. So you know this this new release just coming out uh, this past week. They're saying that the uh, they're putting a consortium of Humber College Institute of Technology and Advanced Learning is going to be taking over. Um, 
is there is, is is this a good thing or you know what is what is Aria or yourself you know looking at it I you know myself knowing that uh, you and I both know that I've been in the uh, business for a long long time Aria was always the people that where we got our education from um, I, I I'm a little surprised at this actually. Well, uh, you know, it, it is uh, Rico's uh, prerogative to uh, to do that, and their board of directors obviously has uh, recognized that prerogative and chosen to uh, to deliver those services in a different way. Uh, we are respectful of that process. We've participated in that process in the past, and we certainly want to wish the new providers of real estate education. Uh, every success in in the delivery of their new program. After all, uh, they will be delivering to uh, potentially our new members, and so we we do have a concern that uh, the quality that we've established over the years is indeed maintained. So um, we, we do recognize that. Excellent. So, um, you know, now on more of a positive note, uh, numbers are going through the roof into the GTA market right now. We know that Ontario is very, very strong, big increases year over year. Um, you know, Mr. Carterelli, do you see this continuing on for the next, uh, you know, foreseeable future? Or, you know, is this, is this a knee-jerk reaction into the spring market with a lot of pent-up demand? Well, you and I both been in the business long enough to know that every time that the market gets hot, the number of people entering the real estate profession increases. Sometimes it increases dramatically, and then when it cools, it tends to drop off. We, we've seen this before. At one time, our membership had reached the uh, uh, the 50,000 mark and then dropped significantly. Now we're, we've just climbed over the 70,000. Um, so the the membership in uh, in Aria has certainly uh, tended to coincide with the peaks of the market. Um, will it continue? Uh, it does seem that for the foreseeable future, it probably will. Um, we do have a provincial budget coming shortly, and we'll see whether that has any immediate impact or not. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because, you know, a lot of people, you know, they weigh into real estate, you know, and and with ARIA right now, with your number of members, a lot of them are not full-time practicing members. A lot of people come into the industry part-time, you know, because they, they perhaps have another profession, but they know that, you know, they're able to come in and do some transactions, perhaps even just representing themselves. So I don't know if if you know, the exact numbers, let's say if we use the number 70,000, you know, for our listeners' uh, sake, this is not not this is 70,000 full-time practicing agents that uh, that put the bread and, and, uh, and meat on their table uh, just from this. You know, you've got a lot of part-time in the industry as well, do you not? Well, I mean, we don't really know that. We have 70,000 members. We know that they've paid their dues and their registration, and, and they're all qualified. And by the way, that number only refers to realtors, not to registrants. The right. registrant number would be slightly higher than that, and those are those would be practitioners who don't necessarily belong to real estate boards or associated with, franchise, or with uh, brokerages that belong to real estate boards. So that number would actually would actually be higher. Um, Look, our our concern is the professionalism in the industry and the ability of people to service their clientele. 
Whether some people can do that in one hour or 10 hours is not really our concern, and it also varies with respect to the particular brokerage that they belong to and how that brokerage wants to service its its clientele. Mm-hmm. Um, our, our concern is essentially the ability of the public to get good quality services and uh, and at the highest professional level. So are there people that have additional jobs? Yes, probably so. Um, are there people that have to do that legitimately? Um, probably so. We're at a stage right now, I've, I've been using the example that uh, when people talk about multiple offers, um, you get 20 offers on a property, uh, one agent makes a sale, 19 don't. Uh, if you happen to be one of the 19 and that happens to you four or five times, you don't have a sale to show. Are, are you then a part-time agent or a full-time agent. So you and I I both know that you can put in a tremendous amount of work in this industry (laughs) and not always have the results that people anticipate you have. So I think it it is a fine line to be crossing, uh, and that's why I refer to it in the form of if if the individual is working and they're able to to deliver quality services, whether they do it in one hour, 10 hours, not really our, our big concern. And and just for clarity, because you know our listeners, you know they always hear uh, terms like Rico and Aria. Can yeah. you can you establish for our listeners' sake exactly what Aria is? Well, the Ontario Real Estate Association is the umbrella organization of of everyone who belongs to it and the real estate boards that belong to it and help create it. The uh, ARIA has been around since 1922, and I want to take the opportunity of saying that from 1922 till about the mid-50s, there was no formal education process being delivered in the way we've been delivering the last 60 years. So, in fact, there was both a rationale and a functionability of ARIA to continue to exist to service its members. And now we're back to that scenario with education going back to other providers. We're back to that scenario. So we're it's kind of a, a return to our roots. We, we look forward to that in terms of reinvigorating our, our lobbying role and the things that we've been able to achieve through that. Um, so ARIA, if you will, uh, we like to think of it as being one one step beyond the minimum requirements. Um, you know, RICO, the Real Estate Council of Ontario, sets out the regulations in terms of how we're to perform, and we like to think of ourselves as being a little bit beyond that. Excellent. Well, I greatly appreciate your time today. Always a pleasure to have you on, and uh, you know, I look forward to kind of uh, you know touching base with you throughout the year because I think I think we're in for an interesting year this year, and that um, you know we'll we'll wait and see if any new uh, new governing comes down from the provincial or federal government. But I'm pretty sure that you and I are both going to have our eyes uh, wide open on what's going on. Absolutely, Todd, and I thank you very much for the opportunity. Great, thank you so much, and it's always a pleasure. Have a great day. And I'd just uh, like to thank uh, the president of ARIA, Mr. Tori Cartarelli, for joining me. And, you know, folks, when you when you listen to it, um, you have to understand that there's a lot of intricate parts here when people are realtors. And you've got the governing bodies, you've got the boards, you've got the education aspect of things. And, uh, and I'll tell you, ARIA has been a very solid provider of both education and keeping people on the uh, straight and narrow. Uh, we do know that RICO has a big part of that as well. 
well. They're more what we would call the watchdog. But ultimately, in the end, um, you know, Rhea's always uh, represented the industry very, very well. So when we come back, we've got more. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. And welcome back. So, you know what? As I always say to people, there is so much going on in the industry. I could sit here and talk to them blue in the face, but instead of just hearing me gabber on, I thought I would bring in one of the professionals that I rely on having a great chat is, of course, from House Money on BNN is Mr. Greg Bonnell. And Greg, welcome to the show. Always a pleasure to be here. Love having you. And I got to tell you, you and I are probably, we can sit here and lick our chops because there's definitely no shortage of content for you and I to have a discussion about real estate. This week, uh, you know, exceptional amount of things happening. You know, I was listening, uh, obviously, to both BNN, listen to the studio here. Everybody's talking real estate. There's so much going on. You know, uh, the markets, the numbers, the percentages up, the government getting in the way, you know, landlords saying they're going to double rents. I mean, where do you want to start? <laughs> uh, we could start with those eye-popping Toronto numbers. I mean, we knew the market was hot. We didn't expect it was going to pull back, but a 33% increase year, year over year. Crazy. The average price is now on 917000 I think we get to a point where numbers, you become numb to them. 33 is a big number. 917 is a big number. So I sort of broke it down on, a, on an annual and a yearly basis. Think of it this way. If you had the average price Toronto home, it made almost $230,000 last year. Did you make 230000 dollars last year. Your house yeah. is doing better than you on a daily basis. At six hundred twenty-six bucks a day. When I go out the door <laughs> and then I come home, I don't make that kind of money in day. But apparently, my house is making that kind of money while I'm out. Okay, so not to give the government any ideas because <laughs> capital gains. It's also capital gains exempt primary residence yeah. right now, right? So that's not just that number. That's after-tax dollars. So you and I have to do a lot of work to make that kind of money. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I, I think that you know to put a perspective on it. And again, I do not want to give anybody any ideas about the capital gains on your primary residence and start taxing it because this has been the one loophole for people, obviously, that they can gain for their future. So, you know, don't let's not close that one because that one, I think, would be very detrimental to a lot of people's retirement plans. I think it was interesting even before the federal budget when Charles Sousa, the Ontario finance minister, was sort of saying to them, you know, we want you to act, but not on the principal residence. I can't imagine anyone having the political will to go after capital gains on a principal residence unless you're saying you want want the other guy to be the government in the next election. I was just going to say. Yeah. But, but, uh, but on, on investment properties, I mean, Charles Sousa was seeming to be saying that 50% inclusion rate for investment properties, can we do something about that and sort of nip speculation? Ottawa wasn't even willing to go there on the investment property side. But at the same time, remember, that was almost budget light. Yeah. There wasn't a lot going on in that. But I was in Ottawa for the budget. And as I sat down and read through the document, I thought, okay, what's going on here? This sort of really stay the course. But we're going to get an update in the fall. Maybe that becomes a mini budget, and maybe then Morneau wants to do something. Because Bill Morneau, the finance minister today, is saying he wants to meet with Sousa. He wants to meet with Mayor John Tory to start talking about what's happening in Toronto. I know they have lots of meetings, they do lots of talking, but at some point they're going to have to take some sort of action. You have to wonder what the action is going to be. Well, you know, this is the problem. I don't think there's uh, one solution to fit all. <laughs> and the problem is, is that we, you know, when we take a look at the broad spectrum of the actual real estate market and what's happening, you know, for, first and foremost, uh, Mr. Souza threw out the idea that he's going to go after the foreign buyers. And again, depending on what the numbers, you know, come in at, and we don't, we're not getting exact numbers and it could be issues with reporting and perhaps some boards 
out there not wanting to give all the facts. Um, you know, we know that last year in BC, they had one percentage about a month later, it was probably 20 or 30% higher yeah. than what they originally reported. Now, it was a huge number in comparison. And so then automatically, provincial government turns around, knee-jerk reaction, let's take out the foreign buyers at the knees. So it, big adjustment on that marketplace. And then we're seeing now, in if we take a look at Vancouver, and we can take a look at the markets right now, they're actually starting to bounce back. Mm-hmm. You know, out of January, numbers were down substantially, and now we're starting to see some recovery here. What do you think? Did the foreign buyers finally accept it, or did they find a workaround? Uh, I think in terms of the foreign buyers, they probably weren't even that bothered by the 15%. Because if you're moving into a seven, eight million dollar home, 15% ends up being a big chunk of change, but you're not wealthy. If you afford, yeah, no, but you're wealthy. To be, you're wealthy to begin with. I, I think what the foreign buyer tax did, and if they did it in Ontario, it'd probably have the same short term effect. It would shock the market. Yep. I mean, you know that real estate's all about a confidence game. You're not going to get into a bidding war, pay 200 more than asking, if you think that the market is either going to stall out. Or correct, it's confidence that this is not only a place to live, but I'm putting my money in a place where I'm not going to lose my money. I think the foreign buyer tax, that kind of stuff, it just shocked everyone. They stepped back for a second and said, wait a minute, what's going on? What's the next shoe to drop? But now exactly like you've seen, we're seeing Vancouver starting to show signs that it's stabilizing and maybe even coming back, that they're just going to get past that. So people have been making that argument. Bring in a foreign buyer tax in Ontario, it's not going to have a long-term effect. I think it would have a short-term effect. I think it would make people pause and say, what's going on here? But then ultimately, if you're really worried about people with deep pockets buying $10 million homes, 15% is the cost of doing business. You know, and it's an interesting point, And I like your analogy that, you know, it was that it was kind of that shock effect. And more importantly, though, right now in the marketplace, if you listen to people that are currently listing their homes, and let's just, you know, throw out the numbers between, you know, $1.5 and $3 million, when people are coming into that marketplace, the natural perception of a seller right now, and I think I think the realtors could be at fault here, is let's see if we can get a foreign buyer who will overpay for your home. <laughs> now, the problem is, is that it's not all foreign buyers actually buying these properties. You know, when we break down the numbers, even if they have underreported it through the boards, let's just say it was 20%. So does that mean that 80% of the actual buyers are local buyers? And are they doing that knee-jerk reaction saying, well, I'm going to compete against a foreign buyer, so I'm going to have to bid up higher. So again, there's your perception that you Mm -hmm. said, and that's that knee-jerk reaction that I think Vancouver definitely felt. So is that one way for us to, you know, it it would be like throwing a a glass of water on a bonfire. (laughs) Yeah, okay. you'll, you'll take a little bit of the flames out yeah. of the, the margin of the fire, but you're not going to you're not going to sto- uh, tamp down the fire. No, and and again, I think that we can you know, and you and I can talk more about this, but I believe that we're probably talking about a supply and demand issue still because th- there's just so many buyers in the marketplace and just so little uh, product. What becomes curious on the supply demand thing, and obviously, I mean, that's how how markets work, and they find the equilibrium at some point. But uh, I, I find it interesting when people ask questions about the demand. Why this insatiable demand for Toronto real estate? Obviously, the city is growing. There's immigration. There's a strong local economy. We're seeing job growth. But some economists I talk to think, okay, you take all of those fundamental reasons and they can justify about 15 percentage points of gain, not sure. 33%. Yep. Uh, so you start talking about speculation. And the word speculation makes you think, 
think of a foreign investor or a domestic investor, but even a broader idea of speculation, just people feeling that this market's only going to go up forever. They have a fear of missing out. They need to get in. Interest rates are cheap. You, you seem to have a recipe here for people to just keep jumping into the market no matter what. And we were talking earlier about big numbers. I rem- <laughs> 10 years ago when I bought my house, $363,000. They wanted three hundred and sixty-nine. Uh, we, we found some middle ground. We were fighting over $6,000 back and forth across that table. I know that's what you do. It's part of the game. Of but, but now people are in a situation where, oh, it's 1.1. Well, you're really going to get if you go 1.3. These huge numbers become decimal points and you're not really thinking about how much money you're socking in. It, it, it's concerning on a number of levels in terms of just are you getting in too deep? I think it's a question people have to ask themselves. If you've got deep pockets and you want to live in that house for 20 years, me or anyone else is not going to tell you not what, not what to do or to do with your money. Sure. But if you're really extending yourself in this market just to get in, maybe you need to take a step back and think about, what am I spending my money on here? So I'm going to have you hold that thought. Uh, folks, when we come back, I've got more with Greg Bunnell from BNN. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, my guest right now is Greg Bennell. He is from BNN, and he is the host of House Money at 5 p.m. on Tuesdays. And Greg, just before the break, you and I were talking about uh, speculation, mm-hmm. okay, in the marketplace and how, you know, um, some people maybe waiting into the market are pushing up the percentage. You know, speculation is an interesting term because I think a lot of people think when people are speculating, they're doing a flip. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things we have not seen, and, you know, I live I live in the South Oakville area, and over the last few years, I'll watch a house, you know, come up for sale, and it could be, you know, a newer home, somebody's done a, either renovation or, a, a, you know, put up a brand new home, and it'll come up for sale, and a family moves in. Yeah. So, you know, ultimately in the end, when we talk about the market in 1988 to 1990, that was a flip market. You know, when we were practicing real estate, people were turning around literally. They'd sell a home, buy it. The next day, they put it back on the market (laughs) and they'd flip it before they'd even close. So I think that a lot of people, when they hear the word speculation and, you know, the, the government's throwing that around a lot saying, hey, people are speculating on real estate right now. People are under the impression that it's a flip market, but it's not. We're not seeing transaction after transaction on the same property. And so, you know, what do you think? Is that is that a fair assessment? I think so, yeah. I think the speculation, the term broadens out in the market that we're seeing right now in terms we were talking before about regular people. It's a family who wants to live in that home. But the home has a huge price tag. And so maybe the speculation and the speculative behavior, and I think the Bank of Canada's Governor Stephen Paul has tried to drive this home a number of times. It's just entering into this kind of deal thinking that home prices can only go up forever. So I might be stretching myself a little too far, but it's going to be okay. And I think that's that's where the prudence comes in. If you're stretching yourself to the absolute limit to get into this house, then maybe you ask yourself that kind of a question. But yeah, in terms of uh, pure investment, is it foreign? Is it domestic? I've talked to economists who worry more about the domestic investor because they're the ones they think are counting basis points of return. Is this investment working for you? If it's not, that's when I'll dump the property. People have actually told me when it comes to foreign investment, even though that's a thorny subject, these people are looking to put capital to work in a safe jurisdiction. So they're not looking for the flip. 
they actually just want to put their money in a, in a place like Canada because it's a safe place to be in. And sadly, not to people who lived here in Canada, uh, our real estate's on sale to the world. Our loony is low. We're not any on a price par with the big cities of the world, even though we're growing in that kind of way. And Toronto is a financial center, not one of the big ones of the world, but it is. Sure. We're on sale to these people. You know, Toronto, I believe, has been undervalued. You know, if you take a look at Montreal, Toronto, and Vancouver, these were undervalued places to call a you know a, a center of influence for. Probably the last 20, 30 years. But it leads to an interesting like public policy debate because you try to then decide what kind of cities do we want to have in Canada. We, we know we're cheap compared to New York and Tokyo and London. But do we want to end up like them? Is there a role for the government to step in and say, oh, no, wait a minute. We want to prosper. We want foreign capital to come in and invest in different things. But does it have to be in our housing stock? Because you end up in a place in – central London or in New York, Manhattan, the island, if you're not hyper successful, if you're not one of the Wall Street people, one of the Bay Street people, you don't live in the city anymore. And I, and I do share that concern, the fact that you can end up with a city that's only affordable to the rich, but not a, and to the rich. I mean, what about dentists and doctors and teachers? Can they not afford to live in the city where they, where they work? It, it becomes a strange thing. So some people say it's a free market. It's going to find equilibrium on its own. Other people say, well, do we want to have a discussion about what kind of country we want to be, what kind of cities we want to have, and do we want them to turn into those global centers where basically, oh, you're not rich? Sorry, you, you live an hour away. Okay, so then if you were – let's put it this way. Uh, Mr. Murnow calls you up today and says, <laughs> Greg, I listen to your show. I, I watch your show all the time. What advice would you give the government? Because look, at you, obviously, if, if the powers to be are going to be having these conversations, you know, I, I, always, I always offer up to all of them, you know, give me a call here. I would love to weigh in on this because you, know, you and I have a pretty good perspective mm-hmm. on this. Um, Ramana King is a you know, regular guest with us. You know, she's got a good perspective on these things. What advice would you give the government how to deal with the problem? I think from what I hear from developers, not all of them want to get into the green belt. They talk about – from their side, they say this is a supply issue. This is the problem for them. They want to bring more supply online. The, the intelligent argument on that side seems to be let's not – pave over farmland. We're not up against the green belt just yet. But we have problems with zoning. We have problems with the amount of red tape it takes to start building a place. I, I did a shoot a few years ago with Mattamy Homes. And as we're standing out there, it was in Oakville or Burlington, on the land that they're building homes on, I was like, how long have you owned this property for? We bought this property you know, 15, 20 years ago. Yep. Then we got this permission, that permission. Even today, if we opened up a huge swath of the green belt this afternoon and said, guess what, we're going to start building there. You wouldn't see – the way the, the system works now, you wouldn't see houses on there in short order. It would do nothing in the short term to alleviate what we're seeing. We need that more mixed-use home. When people talk to me about that idea of that in the city, it can't be all just bachelor condos or single-family homes. Where's the middle? Where's the mixed-use? Where can we build in the areas that we're already in that are already connected to transit and highways where people want to live? Yep. That seems to be – sort of a smart solution, but that means changing a lot of regulatory stuff that basically developers say it just takes so long and we can't build that kind of house there because it's not zoned that way. Yeah. And, th- you know, it's a, it's a great point because I've talked to a lot of the developers over the last few years as well. And what they said to me is that, you know what, they have to basically look at a 10-year plan at best to be able to get something complete from start to finish. Yeah. And do we and, want to wait till 2027 well, to alleviate the housing crunch in Toronto? Well, here's the problem. And coming up in in 2019, right now, the completion. So if we're looking at people that are actually going to occupy the completion of the condominium market, they're only looking at between five and 7,000 units completed, meaning that people can move into them that year. 
we need at least 15 to 18,000 per year just to keep up with the basic demand. So they're going to have a shortfall of, let's say, 10,000 minimum for people to be able to move into. When you look at that, then we start, you know, now you and I can circle back and now we can talk about the rental market because, again, hot topic in the in the news this week. You know, uh, Mr. Tory uh, wants to take a look at, obviously, is there something that they can implement here in Toronto? You know, uh, the, I, I call it the defunct urban court, but they're not quite there yet. But, you know, throwing out, wanting to throw out a couple of tenants saying we're going to double up your rent. Um, you know, that, that's a whole new issue. I think that, the you know, the LTB should be a little bit more involved in something like that because the rent control is anything built after November 1991, so something newer. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's no rent control on that. Um, I don't think rent control is the actual answer to it. What do you think? That's uh, becoming a very hot topic too because as we are told that there might be a whole generation of people or median income workers who can't afford a home in the city, why don't you become a renter? Well, we know the vacancy rates are so low. We're seeing uh, – I mean those were extreme cases of the doubling of the rent. And that was yeah. lightning rod. But we're seeing rents go up across the city. But uh, Benjamin Tal over at CIBC this week said – the Ontario government keeps talking about rent controls and what they might do on that front. He said, that's a non-starter. You're not going to get a developer to build what they call the purpose-built rental. It's just a, it's not a condo that people buy units and then rent them out. No, this is a building just for rental. We haven't had a lot of those in the past couple of decades. We're starting to see them being built now. You bring in rent controls, it takes away the incentives for the developers to build that. Because Benny Tao's argument actually, and this is a hard one for a lot of people to swallow, I think, and if Toronto is going to move in the direction of Vancouver, will resume that direction of the world-class city where real estate is out of reach for people. People, even with families, have to start thinking that I'm going to be a renter for the long term, maybe even for the rest of my life. That's not what we've been sold in Canada, though, since the yeah. Second World War. We've been sold the dream of home ownership. You start to wonder if we have to start reorganizing. Seems unfair for me to say. Just by sure. virtue of my age, I bought a condo and now I have a house. I'm just going to stay in that house probably for the rest of my life. It suits my family's needs. But that entire generation might have to change their mindset and just say, I'm, I'm going to be a renter. But you can't rent if there's nothing to rent. You know, rents in comparison to some of the major world cities are very low still in the Toronto area. And one other point I think that we should probably note is the fact that you don't always have to rent the Taj Mahal. Okay, like, yeah. you know, every, everybody, you know, they want the biggest, shiniest thing to, just like they want to purchase, so. We, we've grown accustomed. I mean, Ontario, as it grew up over the decades, there was lots of space. We've suddenly hit the crunch wall in the past decade, right? Before that, you could go out to the suburbs and have your big house. You could have the yard and the, and the basketball net in the driveway. The area is changing. It's not going to make a lot of people happy that it's changing the way it is, but if there's a new reality, it's probably the millennials are going to have the hardest time living in it because they have to sort of change their perceptions of what they're going to be. I bought a house by default. It's just what you're supposed to do, so I did. <laughs> I mean, seriously, that was about, yeah. about as much thought that went to it. You know, you yeah. met a girl, marry the girl. <laughs> buy, buy a house, just go through all the steps of life. Maybe the steps of life change. There you go. Excellent. Greg, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. Excellent. Folks, when we come back, we've got more, so stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Simply Real Estate with Todd Cecil later on News Talk 1010. Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. And welcome back. As you know, uh, we try to uh, feature uh, Mayor every single week with Minutes with the Mayor. And this week, we decided that we would go to the city of Stratford. So for those of you that aren't aware uh, about Stratford, it's a wonderful municipality, you know, not too far from Toronto. I think you can probably get there in about, give or take, about an hour and 15 minutes. But, um, you know, instead 
instead of me talking about the city, I would prefer to bring in the mayor of Stratford, and it's Mr. Dan Matheson. And Mr. Mayor, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Todd. Pleasure to be on. I greatly appreciate you joining us today, sir. And, you know, one of the things, um, a lot of times, you know, people will hear names in the news. They'll hear, you know, about, let's say, festivals and all sorts of things, but they don't know anything about the municipality. And one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on uh, and talk about Stratford is, you know, I've had the pleasure of being in Stratford several times, uh, you know, coming to shows and just enjoying the overall atmosphere of it. And perhaps you can enlighten our listeners a little bit about the city of Stratford. Well, I'll tell you, Stratford is far more than theater. And the festival, well, it's probably one of the uh, crowning jewels for us. It's just a a small part of Stratford. So we sit in the middle of Perth County, which is the largest productive agricultural county in the country. So we have a deep, rich heritage in in, uh, agriculture. We have the largest parkland per capita of any city in the country. And it uh, runs right through the heart of the city with the Avon River. We have a heritage downtown uh, district, which has 82 designated properties. So our downtown is stunningly beautiful from a built heritage uh, aspect. And we have uh, the University of Waterloo Digital Media School right here in downtown Stratford, which is really on the cutting edge of technology, but also design for the future. When you put that all together with the festival and the agriculture, then you have to think of our automotive sector. So we really have... Uh, a lot of jobs in the automotive and aerospace industry. So we've got kind of all sectors of the economy coming together. And our our healthcare system is a regional hospital for here on in Perth County. And that, too, is a major employer. It's almost 1,200 jobs at the hospital. So we have really – we've got a lot going on here, and we've been ranked in the top five communities in the country to retire to. And there's uh, a lot of people discovering Stratford has a rich quality of life. Uh, big city amenities, but not too far from the big city. Yeah, and 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 I I do know that um, we've uh, we've got a lot of investors out in the Listowel area and Kitchener area, so you know Stratford's not far for a lot of these people. And one of the things that um, you know I'm not sure that everybody's aware. You did mention you know it's one of the top communities for people to retire in, but you also seem to have a little bit more of an influx of some younger buyers. You've got some affordability. Real estate seems to be doing very well in the Stratford area, and both from a, a new perspective, but also some people doing, you know, some renovations and and redoing some of the real estate in the area. Definitely. And one of the things that's helped us twofold, first of all, affordability is becoming key for so many people. We're on the western edge of the Toronto Waterloo Innovation Corridor. So we're getting those tech workers who want to maybe a higher quality of life and want to be able to afford a single family home with a little bit larger yard. They're coming out to Stratford and they're settling here. We've also been ranked as a smart city uh, three years in a row by the Intelligent Community Forum. So we've got a lot of the new technology here. And that's in- increasingly what young people are looking for, a city that's not stale and is keeping up with times. Our housing market, uh, we've seen an increase, a significant increase in the number of units started, not only in the senior capacity, so retirement living, uh, but also condominium-type you know, lock the door and head off to the city or lock the door and head south or head to the lake. We're getting a lot of those seniors coming to town. We've seen our active seniors association double in size within the last five years. And it's really interesting to watch kind of the the makeup of the city become one of renewal on younger families. 
an affordability of single-family homes, but also the seniors coming in to be part of it. And and our real estate market is starting to get hot, much like Toronto has been for a number of years, and it's spread out to Guelph and Waterloo. It's now coming into our area as well. Yeah, it was kind of expected because, you know, as you mentioned, you've got such great, uh, you know, geography in the area, but your your proximity to, you know, the other major markets, again, it's not that far a drive. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I think that people should be aware of, it's, again, you mentioned, it's not just about festivals. Uh, mind you, the downtown quarter, beautiful, stunning, you know, it's always nice to have, you know, a little bit of a heritage feel in some in some communities. But more importantly, um, what we're finding, and, and one of the things that we've been doing our research on is that it is more, you know, you've got a lot more youth coming your way, which is that that age group between 20 and 40 that are starting to look at Stratford as that potential of saying, listen, we're going to put down roots here. We can grow here. It's affordable. You've got a great safe community. You've got some schools. You've got the hospital. You've got a lot of things that people are being attracted to. So then the next question, and and I have to ask, are you finding that you're getting um, perhaps a lot more people immigrating, meaning, you know, people that are new? to Canada, or for that matter, foreign investment, because one of the struggles that some of the other municipalities are struggling with is that, you know, people are complaining that foreign investment's coming in, perhaps pushing the values of the marketplace up a little bit so that it's not affordable any longer. Are you seeing any of this in your actual community? So we are starting to see immigration take root in our community, but some of it's led by us. One of the things we have determined is that the number of people, skilled workers we need to work in our automotive manufacturing, our aerospace industry, our agricultural sector, we just don't have enough. So we are trying to entice some immigration and recruitment of new Canadians out to our region, which is important. Now, on the foreign direct investment side, as it relates to housing market and, of course, housing stock, we haven't necessarily seen that as of yet. But I do believe, like many other challenges that face the GTA or the Greater Toronto Hamilton area, that they will slowly start to come out this way. And as the housing prices start to skyrocket there, they're going to need to be able to buy things that can make return on investment. And the attractiveness of the price of housing stock in Stratford, new construction in Stratford, and the I guess really the growth that's projected in this region for the next while is eventually going to lead for those people to come out here. It's a little bit worrisome because, as you know, as the housing prices go up, it becomes an affordability issue, not only for young families, but seniors on fixed incomes, and more importantly, on single-family homes. And we're starting to see that as a trend everywhere where there's more single-family-led homes. Well, so speaking of that, when, when we take a look at it, can you give us a snapshot, let's say, of the next five years on what we can expect from Stratford as far as development? Is, is there something that, you know, you can, you can let the, the listeners know one of the reasons why they should be coming, you know, t- uh, towards Stratford over the next five, ten years? Well, I'd say in the next five to ten years, there's going to be a number of things happen, and it, break it down into economic and indicators. So, first of all, The Automotive Parts Manufacturers Association and the City of Stratford are pushing forward on being a test centre for autonomous and connected cars. We believe that is important, and we see that as cutting-edge research that we want to be part of with the University of Waterloo, and we want to embed that in our community. I think that's going to help us attract the young technology worker, the young families of tomorrow. Two, we are starting to see the University of Waterloo Digital Media School here take off. They started in 2011 with only 16 students. This year, they have 500. They had 953 applicants this year for 120 spots. That school is going to continue to grow. And we put an accelerator center in there as well. So the young entrepreneur that's in university that has that bright idea, they're going to be able to 
stay here, start a business, and hopefully create a family. On the more build side, if you're a senior and you're looking for a place, we're starting to see condominiums on the edge of the park. Uh, affordable square footage with a quality of life and a park, an expansive park system right outside your door. We have a symphony orchestra. We have the great Stratford Festival. We have a summer music. We have play, play groups, uh, local, uh, I guess, uh, community playwrights. We have a lot of things going on, and we think that all of those together have led to the builders coming out and saying, look, we need to change the housing stock we've traditionally put up here. And that's why we're getting into those newer, more modern-type buildings where people are seeing the value, and I think the pricing in Stratford is going to be good. Coupled with all that, I think people are going to return to their roots. They're not going to want to be in the hustle and bustle of the big city. Transportation and gridlock is number one in Toronto and the greater Toronto area. It's a tough thing for some people to accept. And if they don't have to be there every day, they're probably going to look to, to move out into the regions. And Stratford makes a very compelling argument when you look in the regions, east and west, north and south of Toronto, that we are of great value for what you'll pay. Yeah, I would have to agree with you 100% because when when we take a look at values, now everybody basically, you know, if you can be within a, an hour to an hour and a half commute into, let's say, the core of the GTA, which Stratford, of course, will fall into, um, you know, this allows people to have the accessibility to the big city, but not a, you know, have to deal with the pricing, which is, you know, now out of control in in Toronto. But at the same time, you now are, you know, focusing on the, the, the quality of life. And I think that that's something that Stratford definitely has going for it is the fact that there is a certain quality of life that people can have, maintain, you know, and, and as you said, bring people back down to the roots. So it's, it's, it's an excellent area for people to come to. Yeah, and we've, we've started talking about many of the, the drivers of those decisions and trying to make sure that when we communicate out, whether it be on the web, whether it be in my remarks, whether it's our organizations that are attracting tourists from the greater Toronto area who are going to come up for the day trip or the weekend, we want them to understand that we do have a plan to be a community of the future. We have a place that, you know, a lot of them are going to see a high quality of life and good value for their money. And it's a place where it's safe. Our crime rate is remarkably low for a community our size. And we think that's also a selling feature for people, especially new Canadians who who might want to set roots down but worry about whether or not they'll be assimilated or whether not people will accept them. Out here, we're just a very accepting rule kind of way of life with a urban mystique of being a little bit more upscale. Excellent. Well, Mr. Merritt, thank you so much for joining us today at Simply Real Estate. We greatly appreciate you enlightening us about Stratford. And by all means, you know, I, I encourage our listeners to, to at least go and visit so they have a better idea of what Stratford really does represent. Well, thanks so much, Todd. A real pleasure to be on with you today. Excellent. Thank you so much. And folks, that was the mayor of the city of Stratford, Mr. Mayor Dan Matheson. And great to have him on. And by the way, Stratford's not that far for you to go. So I just want to uh, thank my guests uh, today. Of course, having... the president of ORIA, Atori Cardarelli, uh, chatting about the new decision that ORIA will not, uh, no longer, as of 2020, be the people educating the realtors. As well, Greg Bunnell from BNN. Always great to have Greg on. Always appreciate him, you know, putting in some information for us. And the mayor of, uh, of uh, Stratford, of course, Mr. Dan Matheson, joining us. And I got to thank my, uh, my producer, Mr. Ian Grant. He always keeps it simple for me. And I want to thank you for tuning in every single week. And remember, I'm back next week, Saturday at 3 p.m. So I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010.